0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. Though Abraham arouses my admiration, he at the same time appalls me. Thus wrote Soren Kierkegaard as he meditated on the story before us this morning from Genesis, the final instalment in our series on Abraham's faith. It is a story of haunting beauty, a masterpiece of storytelling and one of the great literary wonders of the Hebrew Bible. Yet, as I'm sure you've picked up by now, it is not for the faint-hearted. It is also shockingly, almost convulsively difficult. This is a story that utterly destroys any sense that biblical faith is something polite and inoffensive, something that meshes well with our natural way of seeing things. Here, rather, we are taken into the very deepest parts of faith, to a place where we get to see the reality of the relationship between humankind and the living God with stunning and terrifying clarity and the journey is not to be underestimated yet if we are willing to make it even on a cold morning such as this we will I believe discover something of unimaginable splendor so let me invite you then to look with me at this story from Genesis chapter 22 I hope you'll have it open in in a bible it will be very helpful The drama begins with a test. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. As so many times before in the book of Genesis, God comes to Abraham and speaks to him. The Abraham we see here is an Abraham who has now known God and had a relationship with him for over three decades. He has been through great things with him wrestled with him. Abraham has had ups and downs, he has feared, failed and kept faith and in the end he has found God faithful. And so he answers him now as one who is no longer uncertain, one who has learned to trust and has so to speak made his bed. Yet God has one last trial for Abraham that will be more demanding than anything he has yet faced. Verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moria. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. We know this was a test. Abraham did not. God's word must have come like a knife thrust into the heart. It is a command of death. Literally, death for Isaac, and so it must have felt for Abraham. Yet it is not an accident as if God is unaware of what he is asking. The Hebrew is actually very gentle. It would be almost better translated, please take your son. And in his words, God shows that he knows what he is asking your son, your only son, Isaac whom you love. Four times he is named. Isaac, the son who had come after decades of pain and struggle, the beloved child of his barren mother when his father was old enough to be dead, the son they had longed for and struggled for through great pain and difficulty and who now, fulfilling the promise of his name, which if you'll remember means he laughs, Had brought Abraham and Sarah great delight and joy in their old age. Isaac, the much beloved, and now that Abraham had with great sadness said goodbye to Ishmael, Isaac, the only son. How could God ask this? But it was even more perplexing than this, for of course, Isaac was also the child God had promised. And through whom God had promised to do great things. Remember what God had said back in chapter 17 Your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. So, how could God ask this? How could this not mean that all his promises were a big joke? This command of God is like a bombshell Suddenly everything Abraham thought he knew is put in question and thrown into chaos To obey is death The death of his son, the death of everything Abraham thought he knew about God The death of his grip on life and goodness Yet to disobey is death as well for it would mean turning his back on that which had become his life and which had sustained him as the rock on which he built his house, his trust in the faithfulness and goodness of this God, his God who had been with him so long, who had borne with him through his faithlessness, who had time and again proved true to his word to turn his back on this God now? To decide after all he had seen that this God could not be trusted, that he was not good? That too would be to renounce everything he thought he knew. And so, Abraham obeys. He chooses to trust the God he has come to know and who has never yet let him down. He chooses this even in the face of this unfathomable command. That means death because he trusts this God who speaks to him. Because he trusts this God who speaks to him, he steps out into a great darkness where every foothold slips away and without knowing how this can mean anything other than the end of everything he knows. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. I think the order of Abraham's actions shows his distress. Only after he has gotten everyone ready does he think to collect wood. Or perhaps it is because he has been putting off that terrible preparation. Or because he wants to hide the purpose of his trip. Anyway, they set out and in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. It's not a short journey, which must have been both a mercy, giving Abraham precious time with his son, but also a torment, every step prolonging the agony Finally, they approach, and in verse 5, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, that statement is strange. Uh, Is it, and it could be, simply a smokescreen to prevent the servants from knowing the horrifying and appalling truth? Perhaps. Abraham clearly does want to keep the purpose of this journey a secret. Yet is there also something more in this? A faint hope that somehow something in this situation must be going to shift? Perhaps. Yet whatever faint hope there must have been, it cannot have been any comfort as Abraham goes to the terrible deed. (coughs) Verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. The tragic beauty of this scene is deeply arresting. With extraordinary feeling, we are shown the intimacy, trust and love between father and son. This is a task they do together. Perhaps Isaac refused not to carry something, delighting to be able to help his dad. Twice we are told that the two of them walked on together. Father and son go hand in hand up the mountain and then little Isaac asks an innocent question, where is the lamb? And Abraham, surely choking back tears, answers that God will provide it. His purpose again is clearly to keep Isaac in the dark. And yet in the way he says it, perhaps there is also a faint glimmer of hope again. But nothing comes. Nothing changes. And so at the top of the mountain, Abraham has to go through with it. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The action slows down. As if to evoke the way, each step must have been A nightmare for Abraham, like wading through mud. And indeed, by now, a nightmare for Isaac himself. They build the altar, lay the wood, everything is to be done in right ritual order, and then horribly, Abraham binds his son and places him on top and takes the knife. At every moment, he could have backed out. At every moment, he could have given up on God, rejected him. What's more, from our perspective, it's almost impossible not to feel that this is what Abraham should have done. For surely, this could never be right. Surely, we would be better off rejecting God's command. At the very least, I suspect we cannot imagine how we would ever be able to go through with such a task or would ever want to, don't you think? Yet Abraham did go through with it. Or at least, he did not back out. In the end, when the choice came between God and everything else, his son, his hopes, his life, even his very understanding of God... Up to this point, he chose God. He passed the test. And then suddenly, Abraham is spared from having to go through with it. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! It's urgent, right? Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It happens at the last moment when all doubt has passed. Isaac is spared. And Abraham's faith has been shown in the most astonishing way to be genuine. And in Isaac's place, suddenly a substitute is provided. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham's words to his son on the way up the mountain are suddenly proved to be truer than he could ever have anticipated. God does provide a sheep for the offering. Uh, In in the Hebrew, there's a lovely pun on the word for provide. The word for provide also means be seen. The same word, that is, is used in verse 13 when Abraham sees a ram, as in verse 14, for provide. And as was used in verse 8 when Abraham said God will provide. It's all the same word, provide, be seen. The whole experience, you see, has been a journey from being in the dark to coming to see. From not having to it being provided. From faith to sight. For at the end, Abraham finds his trust in God vindicated even in the face of horror and confusion. The Lord provides and now he sees it. And finally, in response to Abraham's faith, God confirms his covenant with Abraham in the most astonishing terms. Verse 15, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Abraham's obedience is complete. He has believed God. And so God's promises will come about. God swears it by himself. Now, the ending of this story makes a very great difference to it. It becomes clear in the ending that God never intended Isaac to die. Please note that. God was never going to allow Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. This is important. Were it not the case, then the rest of the Old Testament couldn't condemn child sacrifice, which was indeed a terrible part of the cultures of the ancient Near East. It couldn't condemn it with the consistency and forcefulness that it does. It does condemn it. However, it's emphatic that this is a test and was always a test. And God does not finally demand of Abraham that he do this deed. Yet, that does not altogether resolve our problems with this story, does it? Does it? For, of course, although God did not demand the sacrifice of Isaac in fact... He did demand that Abraham go through with it in his heart and in his intention. And that is a deeply troubling thought, isn't it? In a sense, God did ask Abraham to go through with it. How could he have done that? How is it fair for God to test Abraham like this? Why does he do it to Isaac? Why does he put them through this ordeal in which Abraham is forced to abandon his sense of the moral coherence of the universe and his grip upon the goodness of God? His obedience to God shows that God has first place in Abraham's heart, yes, but it is such an awful demand that it would have left Abraham with almost no heart to have any place in. It is an act of love for God, selfless obedience, yet it was an act also that in a way made God unlovable and must have almost undone Abraham's capacity to love at all. So why does God demand it? Why does he do it? I do not believe there is a way around this problem. I do not think the horror and offensiveness of this moment can be avoided. Indeed, I think it must not be avoided. And that's because I think the deepest purpose of this moment was not to test Abraham's love for God, but to show the shocking extent of God's love for us. For what Abraham was spared from doing... God did. What Abraham was spared from doing, God did. God, says Paul in Romans chapter 8, using the identical phrase to the one found here in Genesis He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Jesus was the beloved. Son of God the Father. His only Son. When the Spirit descended upon him, as he came up from the water at his baptism, the voice of the Father from heaven declared, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was not just some hero like any other, an instrument through which God worked, He was the Father's beloved. His great delight from eternity to eternity, God the only begotten who is in the Father's bosom, as John's Gospel puts it. The tenderness and pathos of this haunting story as Abraham and Isaac climb up the mountain, the two of them walking together, Isaac carrying the wood, innocently sharing the burden of this difficult work, with Abraham surrounded by deep grief, because this is the son whom he loves, this is meant, finally, to point us to the moment that this sacrifice was fulfilled. When God provided the lamb for the offering, when Jesus Christ walked, carrying the wood in agony, up to the place of the skull and his father unseen walked in grief beside him and when in the last horrible moment the intimacy of father and son was severed whilst being at the same time closer than ever when Jesus cried Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani and on the mountain of the Lord it was provided and yet brothers and sisters that sacrifice was even greater for Jesus was not like Isaac he was not a child but a grown man a man who knew what he was doing and from whom his father had no need to conceal anything Jesus carried the wood up the mountain in full knowledge Accepting his father's will in love, sharing this terrible work. No one takes it from me, said Jesus about his own life. And this fully aware obedience only made the sacrifice more terrible and more perfect. For the son who was not spared was the perfect son, whose love and devotion was complete to the bitter end. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we have a window onto the shocking heart of the cross of Christ. The love of the father for the son he was giving up. And the love of the son for the father he obeyed. Well, what difference will it make to us to have looked through that window today? Let's conclude. The Bible tells us that like Abraham journeying towards Moria in darkness and confusion, none of us can expect to see all of what God is doing. We do not live in a situation in which all God's ways and purposes make sense and can be seen to be obviously good. We will frequently be placed in perplexity and sometimes in great distress by the seeming contradictions and costliness of what God requires. We can only live, as Paul writes, by faith and not by sight. And yet it is not that we see nothing. Again, like Abraham, who at the end of this story looked up and saw the ram, we too have been allowed to see how God has provided. We see Jesus. At present, says the book of Hebrews, we do not see everything subject to mankind. That is, we don't see all of God's creation in order and at peace and making sense and rational. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We see Jesus. And in him, we see how God has provided. Jesus Christ is proof beyond question that God loves us. He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you get Paul's point in Romans now? The death of Christ puts the love of God for us beyond dispute. For God loves his son and he gave him up for you. And if God has done that, well, nothing can separate those who trust him from his love. Nothing And so we know for certain that we can trust him. We know that we can trust him even when we cannot see. Even when God seems far away and the world seems impossibly difficult. When God's will for us seems alien and oppressive, even perhaps like a sentence of death. When we're faced with loss beyond what we feel we can bear. We know that we can trust him. Because on the mountain of the Lord it has been provided. Because the Father gave his beloved Son so that he could have us. But more than this, we know that we must trust him. To glimpse the terrible yet beautiful heart of the cross is also to see that there can be no other offer. God the Father does not give up his beloved son lightly. And his esteem for his son will not tolerate any rejection of him. If we have seen through this story of Abraham and Isaac something of the passion in the heart of the cross, then we must understand why this is it. This is God's offer. This is what he has given. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We ought to hear that famous verse from John's gospel with new power now. But of course, the passage continues in John, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. At infinite cost, God gave up his Son. We cannot expect to be all right if we refuse him. Therefore, let me finish this sermon and this whole series on Abraham's faith with an appeal. Put your trust in God. Put your trust in God and in what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. Whether for the first time or afresh after many years, put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. In this world, we do not yet see everything how it all works out, but we do see Jesus, and in him we see the Father's great love for us, and that great provision can, and indeed it must, lead us to faith like the faith of Abraham. Amen. Amen.